Good morning. You good? You hear me? Awesome. <clears throat> you have to excuse me. I'm still getting over some sickness stuff here. So hopefully I don't lose my voice. I'm already about halfway there. So we're going to uh, go over the letters in Revelation this morning. Um, at least, you know, three of them anyway. Um, maybe next time I talk, we'll do the other four. Because <clears throat> there are seven of them, if you didn't know that. Uh, I figured it was a pretty safe uh, place to talk about stuff in Revelation, because some of Revelation is is what it is. It's cool, though. But uh, I guess open to interpretation. So these letters, I always find a lot of... Uh, encouragement in them because even though there's a lot of reprimands and you know there is rebuke in there there's also just a ton of encouragement from Jesus saying you know keep going keep doing what you're doing right fix what you're doing wrong and uh you'll be blessed so i think it's a good it's a good place to to hang out in the bible and uh, see what Jesus has to say. So, like I said, there were seven churches. Um, I'm going to go through each one of them here, uh, the first three anyway today, and uh, kind of break down a little bit about the city uh, that the church was in, and then a little bit about the history of that church, and then go through um, each verse and see what Jesus had to say uh, to these churches through um, his servant John while he was uh, there on Patmos. But uh, uh, Ephesus, uh, the letter to Ephesus is in Revelation 2, uh, verses 1 through 7. Uh, in the vision of the Son of Man, John was given instructions to write letters to seven churches in Asia, which modern day would be Turkey now. Uh, Revelation 1, 1, or 1, 11 says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Uh, so these were written to the angels of the seven churches, that was obviously to the church that's found in Revelation one twenty and some other uh, verses throughout Revelation, actually, in, in, uh, in uh, chapters 2 and 3. Uh, the first letter here was written to Ephesus, so some background information on the city there. Um, it was a leading city in Asia at the time. Um, it had the greatest emporium in the province of Asia, minor. Uh, population was about a quarter million is pretty big, even on by today's standards. I mean, it's decent-sized. Um, it boasted the Temple of Diana, Diana or Artemis, um, and was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. <clears throat> the theater in Ephesus could host 25,000 spectators, which is a lot, still a lot of people. Um, I was just down in Florida a couple of years ago, and there was only 10,000 people there, and that was a lot. So that's pretty big. Um, it would later become the center of uh, the emperor cult there, apparently. And uh, you can still visit the remains of the city today. Most of these are gone. I think only, there's only one of these cities that are still there. 
Um, the church at Ephesus was probably started by Paul during a short visit on his second missionary journey, which is found in Acts 18. There's a, I think he had three missionary journeys. So this would have been the second one. Uh, Aquila and Priscilla together with Apollos would have been early members of the church um, at Ephesus. Paul returned there and stayed three years on his third journey. So he was there quite a bit. Um, he later met with um, Ephesian elders in Miletus. And uh, from the prison there, he wrote uh, the, the epistle to the Ephesians. Uh, Timothy was also at Ephesus when Paul wrote to him. And John himself may have been at Ephesus prior to his exile to Patmos. Um, so Paul did spend more time in Ephesus than in any other place on his missionary journeys. I don't know why, but that's the way it worked out. Um, with such a storied and privileged background, uh, we could assume that the church in Ephesus would remain strong in their service to the Lord. But um, it wasn't long before not all was well there, because um, the letter to that church begins with um, the Lord's self-designation de- there in, in verse 1, he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, which uh, earlier in Revelation one sixteen we read, he had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Uh, so the seven stars are explained there in Revelation one twenty as the angels. Uh, or the messengers of the seven churches. Uh, Revelation one twenty says, The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Uh, so again, the letters were written to the angels, but the, clearly the messages were for those churches there. Um, it goes on to say, he who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, so, which is also in the vision of the Son of Man in Revelation 1, 12 through 13. Um, again, the seven lampstands are explained at the seven churches in Revelation 1, 20. So it's an image that suggests that Jesus is among his churches. He walks. He's here. It's cool. In most of these letters to the seven churches, the self-designation is followed by the Lord's commendation. So in uh, verses 2 and 3 and 6, um, uh, for their works, labor, and patience, they can't bear those who are evil, having tested those who say they are apostles, but were found to be liars. So their perseverance, patience, and labor for his name's sake, and they don't grow weary, uh, clearly show that they were steadfast in opposition to false teachers, which is super important because that can take down a church very fast. And uh, uh, God don't like that. Um, the Lord's commendation in verses 2. Uh, thank you, sir. Get this ready and look up. For their works, labor, and patience, we know that they were uh, clearly in opposition to false teachers. They hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans, um, as does the Lord. So it's possible that the Nicolaitan is, is a Greek form of the Hebrew Balaam, and an allegorical reference to those groups condemned by Peter and Jude in Second Peter and in Jude. Uh, they had strong disdain for the practice of false teachers, 
With such steadfast opposition to false teachers and their deeds, one might think the church in Ephesus was truly a sound church, but uh, in one important area, they were solely lacking. So you'll see that most of these churches, um, actually five of the seven, uh, had basically like one big issue um, that Jesus was very adamant about getting that fixed or not good things would happen. Uh, the Lord's condemnation and warning in verses 4 through 5, his condemnation is the Lord had left your first love. So Ephesus had left its first love. Uh, their love, passion, and enthusiasm that they had at the beginning had diminished. So um, that uh, even in opposing false teachers, it seems like they were just kind of going through the motions, which is... Uh, not uncommon, and it's very easy sometimes for Christians and the church as a whole to fall into that pattern of, uh, I guess, just being apathetic, where at first you're on fire, like, let's go get them, and then you kind of learn the ropes, and then maybe those ropes ended up binding you because it just became drudgery, or... um you started doing it for the wrong reasons. And then, you know, you can work into religiosity and things like that. It's very dangerous. <clears throat> and that's why it's important, like I talked about last couple of times I was up here, about the daily walk, the daily devotions in the Word and with the Lord um, every day, making every day from beginning to end all about Him because that is a great way to uh, keep those, those things away from you. Um... So it went into a warning there. Uh, Remember from where you have fallen, repent and do your first works. So the antidote to apathy in one service to the Lord is to go back to the beginning and build that relationship back up with the Lord. Um, Get back to the fundamentals, Bible study, prayer, assembling together, good works, precious time and relationship with Jesus on the daily um, and then the other, the rest of the warning goes, or the Lord will come quickly and remove your lampstand from its place. Um, this doesn't mean on his final coming, it's just a judgment upon the city or a nation. Um, it's often seen in the Old Testament too. Um, as seen as this vision, Jesus walks among the lampstands. Uh, to remove their lampstand might suggest that maybe they were no longer going to enjoy his blessings. I really don't know exactly what that means, I guess. Um, but if you don't hear, you know, a congregation can cease um, to really be a true church. It can fall away from, you know, what God's initial pur- purpose for, was for it. And we've seen that throughout many church, different denominations, uh, especially in uh, American culture. But if we find our faith and love for the Lord waning, it's a matter to be taken very seriously to encourage the Ephesians and us today. The condemnation and warning was followed by uh, exhortation and promise, which is another reason why I love these letters. It's always like, hey, even though you're screwing up, let's fix this and let's keep going. Uh, he who has near, let him hear. In verse 7, an exhortation spoken frequently during Jesus' earthly ministry, which you can see in Matthew 11 and 13, caused listeners to give special heed to what was being said. Uh, what the Spirit says to the churches. So if he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The letter to the church at Ephesus was for other churches as well. Uh, this is for all of us. That's why it's in the Bible. 
as with all the epistles in the New Testament, they are for us to heed. Um, they are written to others, but preserved for our benefit. Um, to him who overcomes, the one who remains faithful, loving, obedient, even to death, uh, despite false teachers of persecution, even at the cost of life, um, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So we see this, not really mentioned, I can't even remember a place where it's mentioned in between Genesis and Revelation. It probably was, maybe. I can't think of one off the top of my head. Uh, last time we saw the tree of life, um, Genesis 2 and 3. So in the future, in the New Jerusalem, in Revelation 21 and 22, um, we see, especially in Revelation 22, 1 through 2, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and from the Lamb in the middle of its, st- <clears throat> excuse me, in the middle of its street, and on either side of the river was the tree of life. It bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Uh, so many of the promises mentioned in the letters to the seven churches are described in their fulfillment later in Revelation as events are foretold. So I would say that even though these letters are in the beginning of Revelation, it is important to read the whole book. And the book even ends with like, blessed are those who read this. Um, and it, it does call, it says this calls for wisdom in certain parts of Revelation, which harkens back to uh, some of the proph- prophetic portions of the last part of the book Daniel. Um, but even though it's kind of intimidating, it's important to read it because um, it's in the Bible. And it's kind of fun because it's weird. It's, it's weird. <laughs> so in conclusion uh, to the letter to Ephesus, um, it's not assumed that because we have been faithful and steadfast in, the pa- steadfast in the past, it's hard to say, even to the point of standing uh, fast against false teachers or enduring persecution for Christ in its many forms, that we are in good standing before the Lord. So we can't just assume because we're doing the right things that our heart's in the right place. Because it really comes down to where your heart is and what's coming out of that. It's a very internal to external kind of thing. We read in Hebrews 3, 12 through 15. Take care, brothers, lest there be any evil in any of you, an unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Hebrews is another great book. I love that book. Another intense book, but it's awesome. To receive the promises, such as those in the book of Revelation, heed also Paul and Peter uh, in 2 Corinthians 13.5. says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do not... Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you are disqualified? And Second Peter says, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. So be willing, it's important for us to be willing to examine ourselves, um, really on a daily basis, honestly. 
to make sure that our calling and election is sure, to make sure that we're we're still where the Lord wants us to be. It's really, it's unfortunately easy to strafe to the right or the left, even when you really love the Lord and you want to stay on that path. There's just so many, especially in this day and age, so many things to pull you off in either direction. So again, so important to have that wonderful daily relationship with the Lord. And uh, he, he will correct us which is awesome. He's always coming after us. Um, so through his letters to the seven churches in Asia, Jesus helps us to examine ourselves that we might be sure to overcome and inherit the promises found in the word of God. So next we're going to examine the letter in to Smyrna. And I might only have time to get through this one today, which would turn this into a three-part series, which is exciting, I guess. The book of Revelation and the letter to Smyrna, which is found in Revelation 2, 8 through 11. So we just went over Ephesus in which Jesus commended steadfast opposition to false apostles and false religion in Revelation 2. He condemned losing their first love uh, with a call to repent and turn to their first works. And he promised to those who overcome access to the tree of life in the paradise of God. The second letter was written to the church in Smyrna, and here's some background information of that city. It was one of the most prosperous cities in Asia Minor, uh, had the largest Jewish population of any city in Asia Minor. Uh, it was faithfully an ally of Rome um, long before Rome became what it was that massive superpower the sun doesn't set on it. Um, it became the headquarters for the imperial cult of the emperor worship in that area too, which is gross. Uh, it's the only city of the seven churches that is still in existence today. So all the rest of them are not there or there's ruins. So the city is obviously apparently still functioning in one way or another. Uh, the church at Smyrna probably began through Paul's work at Ephesus in Acts 19. Um, a lot of this goes back, harkens back to Acts 19 and 20, which is where you find that missionary journey um, that mentions these places. Um, they had already experienced tribulation and poverty. Revelation 2.9 says, I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say you are Jews and are not, who say they are Jews and are not but they're a synagogue of Satan. Uh, from the second century, there are also other letters to and from the church in Smyrna. Um, Ignatius to the church. Um, Polycarp sent one to uh, the Philippians. And there's also an account of Polycarp's martyrdom um, in that area. So this is one of the two churches I mentioned. You know, I mentioned five of them had rebukes, two didn't. Um, this is one of the two that Jesus spoke no words of condemnation. Does anyone know what the other one was? City of brotherly love. Oh, well, of course, you can't answer these questions. <laughs> yes, it was Philadelphia. Uh, little is known uh, about the church in Smyrna in the Bible. Uh, <clears throat> sorry. 
Uh, and the letter to Jesus had John write to the church is the shortest of the seven. It's only four verses long. Uh, but it provides the setting for why and what is to follow in the book of Revelation. So again, it's important even when you study these letters, just keep going. You're almost to the end of the Bible, actually, in Revelation there. So, uh, Lord's self-designation again uh, is verse 8. These, thing, uh, these things says the first and the last. It's Jesus. A designation spoken twice by the Son of Man in the, in the vision of chapter 1. And uh, he used, it's also used together with uh, Alpha and Omega as Jesus describing himself. Uh, he, Jesus is clearly using designations that declare his de- deity with Jehovah. Um, harkens back to Isaiah 41.4, uh, who has performed and done it, calling the generations from the beginning, I the Lord am first, and with the last, I am he. So Jesus is saying, hey, I'm God. Um, goes on to say, who was dead and came to life, as mentioned in the vision of the Son of Man in Revelation 1.18, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Um, As deity, Jesus is the first and the last. In becoming flesh, he was dead and came to life. To a church that had suffered tribulation and would experience more, we go on to read the Lord's commendation in verse 9, the first part of verse 9. For their works, tribulation, and poverty, their faith wasn't dead, um, and it had produced works. And it talks more about that in James uh, chapter 2. Uh, they had experienced tribulation like John, their companion in tribulation, and that tribulation apparently led to poverty, which is um, can often be a result of persecution. Uh, Hebrews 10 says... Uh, But recall the former days in which you, after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated, for you had compassion on me in my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven." So not only can that tribulation, you know, take things that we love, it can happen in joy because we understand that that's creating for ourselves something that's far greater than anything we could have in this world. So obviously they had suffered some persecution. It goes on to say, but they are rich, rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, having a better and more enduring possession in heaven, which again talks about that in Hebrews 10. The rich in faith, they had experienced tribulation and would experience more. Uh, where was the tribulation coming from? Where was the persecution coming from? Uh, we learn of at least one source as we go on to read nine, the latter part of verse 9 through uh, verse 11 uh, in the exhortation and promise of the Lord. I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan, uh, which is a reference to unbelieving Jews Um, As opposed to the many Jews who did believe in Jesus, there were lots of them. We can't go on thinking that there were none. There were tons of converts. Um, Who by their lack in in Jesus, uh, faith in Jesus, revealed themselves as followers of Satan. 
Um, talks about that in John 8, too, as well, I mean. Uh, for the true and faithful Jew is one who is circumcised in heart. And uh, you can argue all the way back to Deuteronomy, um, where it talks about, you know, don't just have this outward thing going on. Circumcise your hearts. It's got to be inward uh, as well. A major source of persecution against the church leading up to 70 AD, which was the, uh, I believe, when the temple was destroyed. Um, there was uh, unbelieving Jews in Judea and also in Asia, which is Turkey and Greece, and that's all over the New Testament, Matthew, Thessalonians, Acts. Um, lots of references to, that, to those people. Um, so remember that Smyrna had the largest Jewish population of any city in Asia Minor, so it was kind of a big deal that um, they had all this opposition from Jews, because uh, there were lots of them. Uh, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer, the verse goes on. The devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. Uh, the malevolent spiritual force behind their persecution is the devil, slanderer, and Satan adversary, who deceives the whole world who manipulated unfaithful Jerusalem and pagan Rome in an effort to destroy the church. And it goes on to say, you will have tribulation for 10 days, which is kind of an interesting under why 10 days. Um, but in Revelation, um, numbers are often figurative and symbolic. So 10 days may just mean like a relatively short period of time as opposed to like a thousand years, which is a long time. Uh, it could be literal. I have no idea. Thus their tribulation suffering was only for a short time, which was there to test their faith. So again, God was faithful in that, just giving them that little short burst of testing. And uh, I'm sure he's very confident that they would uh, come through with flying colors. Uh, it goes on to say, be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. They were to be faithful unto death for every Christian. Um... One must be faithful until we die, either when it's naturally taken from us or if, for God forbid, some reason we suffer like our brothers and sisters in other countries where their lives are taken from them prematurely. Uh, and that's even, uh, it's even true today as it was then. The crown of life is promised to those who love him. It's also spoken about in James we are called to an imperishable crown. 1 Corinthians 9.25 says that. A crown of righteousness in 2 Timothy 4.8. And a crown of glory, 1 Peter 5.4. A wonderful promise for remaining faithful and, if necessary, even paying the ultimate price with our lives. So it goes on to say, He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. The overcomer is one who remains faithful, loving, obedient, and even if it means dying for Christ. The second death is explained at the end of Revelation in uh, verses 20, um, chapters 20 and 21. Uh, the first death is natural, physical death uh, we all experience. There's a second death that is um, uh, what most would believe to be an eternal punishment, uh, which is depicted at the end of Revelation in the lake of fire. Again, he says, he who has an ear, let him hear. So the conclusion on this letter is um, that they were experiencing opposition from unbelieving Jews, um, as did Paul and many others, I'm sure. Uh, though they were rich in faith, they had suffered tri tribulation and poverty, and they had more suffering to come. So it's also important to know that 
even when we're doing things right, and even when there's still no rebuke from the Lord, there's still tribulation. So we can't always uh, assume that just because we're doing things the Lord's way that we're just going to skate by with this super easy life. Um, It's very important because a lot of people, uh, I guess, even come up with uh, false teaching based on that. You know, if you do it this way, you're going to really succeed. Um, Sometimes it's not the case. But they do succeed in the end, just not the way that most people would think. Um... We also learned of two alternatives facing us in the future. Uh, the crown of life for those who are faithful unto death, even if it leads to martyrdom, and the second death for those who do not overcome the satanic forces that are against them. Uh, through his letters to the seven churches in Asia, we learned circumstances that prompted Jesus to have John write the book of Revelation. We also learn the sort of faith necessary for us to overcome and inherit the promises found in the word of God. Very important. So I'm starting to lose my voice, and I think we're pretty much to a half-hour point here. So I think I'm going to stop here, and I'll pick this up next time that I am up here. And uh, just encourage you, I mean, maybe take some time and go read through those letters. It's a pretty short portion of, of Scripture there. Easy to read through them. There's a lot of encouragement. Um, there's a lot of Jesus' character in those letters that's really important to see um, helps us to understand his outlook and how much he is after us and wants us to succeed and how much he is not standing up there waiting for us to mess up. He's standing up there encouraging us to stand up and to continue going and to do things his way. And most of all, to get back to that place that first drew us to him and uh, when we were called to salvation. So I think it's a great place to hang out in the Bible for a while. I encourage you all to do the same. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the revelation that you have given us of who you are in your word. And we know that, I mean, just your works just your miracles and the things that you did on this earth. The Bible says that even if we recorded all those, it wouldn't be enough books in the world to contain them. And that was just one thing that you did. So we just thank you that there's so much more to you. And it's going to take all of eternity to learn it and to experience it. And that's what you're calling us to through your sacrifice. Like you did this in order for us to just be with you. You lost your life and you beat death and you're still alive. And we thank you that we have such a promising future ahead of us, not only in this world, but in the one to come. So we just pray, Lord God, just pray right now over all of us, just... Again, uh, the blanket of love that we asked for, that we, we called out to earlier, we just pray, Lord God, for a blanket of encouragement over all of us, Lord God, even in all the things. I mean, none of us are, are really losing our lives today because of your word, but we're still, we still have struggles, and uh, they're very real, 
And we know that even down to the smallest thing, you are fully aware and you fully care about every little thing in our lives. And it's just amazing that who you are cares so much about the things in our lives and who we are. So we just hand these things over to you, Lord. We just set them at your feet. Lord, we ask, Lord God, that we would take encouragement from your word. We would take encouragement from you when you were speaking to us, Lord God. We would see things through your eyes and that we would be able to touch this world with your hands and uh, that we would be people of beautiful feet that bring the good news everywhere that we go. And that we would know that the time is drawing short. It's been drawing short for 2,000 years. And we know, Lord God, that we are closer today to you coming back than ever before. So please prepare us. Help us to be ready. Help us to do every good work out of being your children and your sons and daughters. Not from a place of religion, but of a place of love and of being like our Father in heaven, the image of Jesus restored to us. We love you so much and we thank you for everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a wonderful week.